to Newsmakers, an occasional podcast from Columbus Business First. I'm reporter Carrie Gopsch, and today's guests are the new co-owners of real estate fraud protection startup SafeWire, CEO Chris Sauerzop and Pete Kite, who many listeners will remember as the founder of CheckFree, which brought banking into the digital world. Now he's brought this company back from insolvency. SafeWire is attacking a problem I didn't know existed, which is wire fraud during home sales. So people are losing entire life savings because of email phishing scams during the mortgage closing process. The FBI reported that kind of fraud totaled $221 million and that's just the crimes that are reported. The original version was called Safe Chain, but by the end of 2019, that version of the business was running out of money. We talked to Kite and Sarzop about the path back. Why Kite says you have to be careful if you're going to go get a beer with Chris, and why Pete Kite doesn't lie awake at night wondering why he's the only one willing to invest in something. As always, thanks for listening. first and today's guests are SafeWire CEO Chris Sauerzop. Am I saying that right? And yeah, Peter, very, very good. A uh, longtime uh, investor in the company and uh, uh, formerly known to Columbus folks as the check-free founder, now happily in the mountains, I understand, correct? That's correct. About So it was about a year ago when we were doing a brief checkup that there was a change of ownership? Uh, did you buy out initial investors or explain the transition of the past year and how Chris had been a co-founder, left the company, came back, and is now CEO? Chris, why don't you start with uh, the original company and how that got put together, and then I'll, I'll talk about you know, how I got involved. Yeah, for sure. So uh, back in 2016, Rob and Tony and myself started SafeChain. And the idea with SafeChain was how could we use uh, technology like blockchain and create better, safer, smarter real estate transactions? My background is in the real estate space since 2004 and specifically the last 11 years in the title, real estate title space. And so I was actively looking for ways to use technology to create better, safer, smarter real estate transactions. And so the three of us connected back at the end of 2016, we, we launched SafeChain. By the end of last year, it became clear that SafeChain kind of, had kind of went two different directions. So there was the direction of this wire fraud product we had created called SafeWire. Uh, real estate wire fraud is a significant problem that is growing exponentially and there's no real end in sight. And so we saw that having a opportunity to create a product that could help the industry and also act as a part of the blockchain uh, concept that was becoming, that was building out. Um, how could we mesh the two together? And so that's essentially what we did was we built this product and then the company started building other blockchain projects and there was a bit of a, I would say a divergence of focus on having a real estate based, a wire fraud prevention product and a uh, bunch of projects that were focused more on blockchain technology. And as a result, 
the the I would say the splitting of the focus uh, created a situation by the end of last year it became clear that um, you know the company was essentially going to be insolvent. And Pete had come along as an investor, and I uh, Pete can speak to his piece of this. But I had been talking with the with with Rob and, and with some of the guys at SafeChain about I still wanted to focus on this real estate wire fraud problem. Because to me, there's still a significant opportunity. There's still a significant upside. And so Pete and I circled around uh, about this time last year around what, what could we do? What could we do? It was clear that we weren't going to be able to do anything with what was left of SafeChain. What could a, a new opportunity look like? And how could we reposition the, the product and a, a reposition a new business? I got involved as, a, as an investor and in SafeChain, uh, I, I knew Rob just through family connections. I knew him and, and his career, uh, of his career at Chase. Uh, and I, I knew much of that, you know, because of I was on the board of Huntington. A lot of the Huntington technology people came from Chase. Rob was known to some of them. Uh, so the combination of I knew him personally and I knew of his professional background. I'm, I'm an investor in tech. Um, I, I do that. Don't really care where the, the, the locations are, although it's always fun to have an opportunity to get back to Columbus. And I was already coming to Columbus every quarter or more anyway for Huntington. And so that wasn't a, uh, a burden for me. And so uh, I agreed to invest in the company because I, you know, I, I, I do believe that the whole mortgage process is, is one of the last two or three uh, most manual, most antiquated, uh, least automated, least timely, you know, and, and it is a it is a significant painful burden to the consumer it's an expensive burden to the to the lender but it's but it's a very painful you know burden to the to the consumer back of things to sign you you got it just sitting there and and the the, the idea that you can you can borrow a million dollars in 24 hours today but it takes you 35 to 50 days to get a mortgage done is a, it just doesn't make any sense but there's so, so that's the, the problem that needs to be resolved. The problem for the resolution, which we ran headlong into, which the company did, is it has so many moving parts. You know, the government's involved in the record keeping, the, just the amount of, of things that you have to solve. I love messy situations. That's, that's really my background. I love looking at, you know, all, the thing that really made Check Free, you know, it, gave it the ability to, to create an 85% market share business was all of the messy connections we had to make with tens of thousands of billers around the country and how complicated that was so that when the deep pocket tech companies like Microsoft, IBM, and uh, really big guys came after us, didn't matter how much money they threw at it, you had to go grind out, you know, fixing the connections to all of these uh, billers. I like um, messy. So, the problem with the mortgage process is, I will admit now, it's too messy, you know, for a, a startup, in my opinion. And and uh, essentially, the company just kept running out of money because there's so many different things you have to do. And the the, the blockchain technology works. I I wasn't I I don't I don't think the company got necessarily as over focused on proven blockchain. But there's there's a reason blockchain. Uh, works for certain applications and the mortgage process um, is, is one that it could work for. Um, in, in particular, the, the, uh, 
the, the problem was there's just too many moving parts and pieces uh, that you'd have to raise a, a significantly higher amount of money than than SafeChain was able to to raise. I, I, I put in money and then uh, I, they came back to me and um, my second offer was I would put in money as part of another fundraise, but they had to find a recognized venture capital firm to come in along with me. And so we, we worked with several firms, thought, thought we had uh, some at one point, and then sort of destiny just went against us. The, the sort of investment market got a little fluttery. It, it didn't happen. Uh, I still believed in, I mean, I, I, you know, that this is one of the messiest processes. It needs to get fixed. I mean, it really needs to get, get, get fixed. It needs to get fixed for the banks to be more efficient. It needs to get fixed for consumers to be more efficient. Just everyone involved in it needs, you know, would benefit if, if we can automate this process. It shouldn't take more than a couple of days uh, to, to, uh, to start and complete a mortgage any more than it, than it, it doesn't today to, to borrow money for other things. And so it, it, it does need to get fixed. And I, I will admit I got a little stubborn. I just wasn't willing to totally walk away from it. Um, and I thought, I, I really believe in the technology. Rob is a, is, is a, uh, a significantly talented technologist. His technology platform was very solid. That wasn't the problem. It's just too many moving parts without enough money to be able to finish building them all out. And so uh, I agreed that I would, I, I would try to find part of the business, you know, to, to continue it forward but I wasn't willing to fund the business as a whole. So I essentially paid off the debts that had to be paid off um, once we realized the company was no longer going to be a, a going concern. Uh, and at the end of the day, as those things sometimes ended up, no one else wanted to put up any money. I, I put up an, enough of the money. The only thing I could do to, you know, in putting up the money was, was have the assets as collateral. And so, I took the assets as collateral. I didn't have a plan at that point, but I did have a belief that this is such a problem that even if we could solve a part of the mortgage process, this solution could be a part of a, a bigger piece. And so I, I stayed in it. And it was really around that time, I had heard a couple of times from Chris who had who just called and, and or in passing, he'd mentioned to me that he was working on some ideas and had I thought about this. and. Quite frankly, I hadn't paid a lot of attention to Chris yet, uh, just because I was still trying to figure out how to treat everyone right and try to get this done. And you know, there's nothing pretty about a, a company becoming insolvent. So I was just trying to, to uh, stay one step ahead, step ahead of it. Finally, I think Chris probably got tired of me not paying enough attention. And he called and said, why don't you pay attention to me for a sec? You know, give me a half hour and let me talk to you about this. And, uh, and I knew, of course, that, that SafeWire worked and that that process was working. You know, what I didn't have is I don't have a real estate background. I have a FinTech background. I don't have a real estate background. And that's the piece that was really missing on my part here. Chris has a significant, you know, he's an entrepreneur in the, the real estate uh, marketplace. So as he really explained the, 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 how big an issue this is uh, and how co complex and messy uh, it is, uh, he won me over. Uh, and so I, I, I ended up having these assets, you know, in the liquidated company, um, a, a significant part of it. I don't know whether we'll ever be able to use uh, on the platform, but the SafeWire platform at its core 
was worth building on. We had a lot of other things to do that needed to get built out because it wasn't, stand, wasn't a standalone business. But I really believe that, that Chris understood the problem. He, he met my criteria for a, uh, an entrepreneur that you want to back. This is a guy, he knows this industry. I mean, to the point where you got to be careful if you're going to go out with a beer because Chris, with Chris, because you're going to talk about real estate. You know, this is what he knows. This is what he loves. This is where he lives. He knows it. And a really key part of this is it's not just the technology. It's how do you get it in place? How do you sell it to the right people? How do the people you know, within the industry then you know, uh, apply it? And how does it get applied? Ultimately, how do you get paid? There's a lot of complexity in, in there. And I believe that Chris's background in the real estate industry, the amount of focus he's put on this and this had been building up. He'd been thinking about this, you know, more and more and more as SafeWire was floundering, that he knew SafeWire worked and that that was a, a, a growing, a really big problem. This idea that, that, that anyone, you know, who's, who's talented and has time on their hands over in Eastern Europe or any place else can just go make money by inserting themselves with, a, you know, with not a great deal of, of technical talent you can insert yourself in the wire process and intercept the wire, you know, just simply by changing addresses and, and doing some social manipulation. It's a, and it's not a problem that's gonna go away. And no one wants to own it. You know, the bank doesn't wanna own it, the broker doesn't wanna own it, the agent doesn't wanna own it, consumers doesn't know about it, because uh, they only do one traction, you know, one of these transactions every you know, multiple years. So I. I really think it's a, it is a, a really significant problem. We own technology that solves it. The key to this business is can we figure out how to get this technology into the marketplace in a way that the people who really need it, the, the brokerage, brokerages, the agents, you know, uh, the, the title companies, can they you know, work with us you know, in, in fitting it into the transaction so that the transaction gets protected? So there's a, a lot to unpack there, but I want to start with a quick housekeeping note that Rob, when you mentioned him, that's Rob Zwink, who was right. the third co-founder, and he was CTO, and as of a year ago, CEO, but now Chris is CEO. Is Rob still, Rob Zwink, still with the company? No, Rob uh, got a CTO position at a, at a fast-growing uh, fintech company up in Minneapolis. And so when you say insolvent, um, so I wrote a story October 2019 saying sales are growing 16% month over month. This company is going great, but it was actually headed for closing at that time. At that time, it was already in trouble. Yes. Okay. I mean, you know, the, the problem with, you know, the problem with startups, as you know, Carrie, is year over year numbers can sound great, but you know, when you're small, it, it doesn't really matter if you grow hundred yeah. percent, if you're going to run out of cash. percent on a hundred bucks is not um, yeah. right. Uh, going to employ people. So the company did, as you took it on, it actually had shut down, went to zero employees, et cetera. Is that correct? That's correct. And the third co-founder and founding CEO, Tony Franco, he had left last July, according to his LinkedIn. Is that correct? Uh, that's, that sounds like the ballpark date. Yep. Okay. Are you guys willing to talk about why that was? We, we, we just had run out of money. Okay. Um, the, the, the whole issue was, could, could we find a, a venture capital firm that would come in with me so, so that I, I knew that I, 
you know, we had a chance of, of bringing in others and, and I, I didn't want to be, you know, one of my basic rules is you don't want to be the only person at the table when you know, a company gets into this position. And so I, I simply held with, with, with that requirement. And, you know, Tony was in a position where he, you know, we had just run out of time. We, we had bet pretty hard on two different uh, venture capital firms over the previous year both of whom you know came down to the wire and at the last minute couldn't do it for different reasons doesn't really matter why they didn't put the money in if they don't put the money in the facts are the facts and we ran out of money um and so as of today are you the sole owner because i mean it had been revolution and there was a three million round at some point in 2018 i think are all of those original investors out now yes this is this this company uh, really doesn't have anything to do with the previous company. Okay, so uh, I, I, you know, the comp that company shut down, and I acquired the technology assets as part of funding the shutdown. Okay, so if you get this to go, this is going to be a bet that pays off really well for you. And I, I don't know if you've granted equity to employees or, or however you structure it. So, so Chris, Chris and I are the co-owners of the business. Um, okay. and, you know, so, so the, you're right. The good news is if it takes off, you know, we win. The current news is if it needs funding, it comes from us. Yeah. Okay. yeah and Carrie, just to jump in, um, you know, at, I, last December when all of this was going down, there was nobody, um, there was nobody standing next to Pete saying, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to step into this unknown with you. So, you know, the, the, there is um, there is obviously significant upside, but there's significant risk in in taking a company down to zero and basically saying to a new person, "Hey, how do we how do we reposition this product in a different place in the real estate transaction and make that happen and fund that to happen?" And so we're we're now 12 months past that point, and things are looking differently. But at the time, um, Pete was standing out there on the ledge by himself. Yeah, and I, I want to um, get deeper into that because then also you you step out on this ledge and a hurricane comes by your ledge uh, in in the form of global catastrophe. So, but just to ground us a little, the uh, I was looking at the FBI reports this year, and when we talk about this real estate wire fraud, which is something I I didn't even know happened, but my eyes popped because the 2018 FBI report on internet crime said the real estate uh, category was $150 million in 2018. The 2019 report, which came out this February, said it was $221 million. Yep. Um, and I think it had been under $100 million in 17. So it really is. It's, it's really yep. growing by these right. amounts. And just briefly, what it is, is you are going to go to your closing and you've been emailing with your broker um, and possibly your bank and some hacker infiltrates and makes a fake email address and says, okay, here's the, here's a copy of your closing documents and they all look right. And here's the, the Wells Fargo account to put this in. I read a CNBC story today about this it happened to folks who lost a million dollars this way. Yeah. And you say, great. And then your real broker calls and says, when are you going to do that wire transfer? And you say, but I did. And it's gone. Correct? That, that's the gist of it. That's the gist of it. And there's some different nuance into, you know, where and what parts of the transaction and what they're doing, but that's the gist of it. Okay. And I was looking at 
kind of promo videos for the product from two years ago versus today. Same kind of thing you're protecting from, but I, I don't know how, if you're still using blockchain, which is, blockchain is this kind of electronic ledger system. So you know that everyone uh, in the transaction is legit and it's immovable. So someone can't steal or insert themselves in that. I don't know if you're still using that idea to secure this, but I did notice that the last video said, you have to give us all this documentation, show us your ID. And the new one says, we work with the broker to go to the consumer, the buyer, um, and get some basic questions information. Um, so did you change the underlying technology and what you need from the parties in the transaction to make this work? To, and how, so how do you prevent the, the Fisher hacker from inserting themselves in this and stealing the wire transfer? Sure, so, the, so just to back up a second. So one of, so this, this is messy. And this is, as Pete mentioned, one of these types of situations that he likes. But the reason it's messy is because there's so much data segmentation that exists in real estate. So real estate title companies have their data, mortgage companies have their data, and real estate brokerages have their data. And how we're, you know, it's important if we're going to solve this problem, we really have to understand how it's happening. And how we're, the, when I say we, the real estate industry is so susceptible to this is because they're getting us at our weakest points, which is how we communicate, uh, which is typically through unsecured email. And so you have real estate agents, you have title companies, you have mortgage professionals, and they're all sending around this financial information and transaction information through typically unsecured email. So it makes it very susceptible to phishing scams and email scams. And, and so that's generally what's happening. And that's why it's such a problem is because the segmentation of the data that exists what we did with SafeWire initially was we built this product because the problem had primarily been within title companies. Title companies were getting bad information and were, were funding transactions to the wrong accounts. And um, that's a, obviously a significant problem. Title companies over the last few years have gotten much better at protecting against this. And so as a result, SafeWire, it was no longer good enough for us just to protect title companies and just to protect the end of the real estate transaction. If a buyer came to us at our title business and said, well, what do you mean you don't have our proceeds? We just sent you know, $5,000 to your title company. If they came to us and said that, we can't keep them safe from that. That's happened well before it's gotten to us. And so what we've had to do with SafeWire is we've had to evolve the product just like the problem has evolved. And so we've moved the product that now exists, title companies can use it as a standalone product, but it also is moving to the very front of the real estate transaction. So our goal, and ultimately what we wanna do, is we wanna protect all of the different segmentation that exists and eliminate all those unsecured emails that are happening. We wanna collect and authenticate buyers and sellers at the very earliest parts of the transaction, at the listing or at the contract, and then send that information securely to their trusted parties in the transaction the real estate title softwares, eventually the mortgage softwares. And so we're gonna eventually, our, our goal essentially is to eliminate all those unsecured back and forths. So take me to today. Um, that sounds like some rebuilding was in order, obviously. How many employees do you have? And I'm, you know, I'm seeing some news releases on your website of this, this brokerage, that brokerage. So your target customer has also changed to brokers rather than title companies. How many employees do you have? 
how many customers have you signed on? What's the revenue picture like? Uh, what do you feel like uh, your 2021 is going to look like? And then let's go back in time to 2020. Sure. So since February, uh, so February is, is basically where the assets exchange. And so really with well, the end of February, so really beginning of March and, you know, obviously you talked about launching in a pandemic. So we've spent really the, the first part, most of this year has been repositioning the product. And so getting the product from where it sat with title companies and almost in a sense, flipping it. So we've spent a lot of time on having to rebuild that technology. And you imagine, you know, picking up a product that's been in market for two years and replacing the entire team and repositioning it all at the same time. And, and so that was a significant lift that's been happening the first six, seven months of the year. Um, what I'll say is that it's been successful. We've put together a great team. Uh, our technology team is being led by a guy named Toby Miller. Toby's been in the central Ohio scene for the last um, 25 plus years. Uh, he was referred to us through uh, Kevin Mack, who's the CTO over at Vibe. And Toby worked with Rob to transition. We, we worked together with Rob over a few months at the beginning of the year to transition everything and the, the, the technology piece. And that was a significant lift, as you can imagine. Uh, our head of product and ops has, came from Beam Dental, so for, Phil Moorhead who left Beam Dental to join what we're doing. Um, and Safewire, our team is up to, between contractors, full-time and part-time, we're up to about 20 right now. We have um, a, a technology teams. Uh, a few of those folks are here in the US, a few are in the Philippines. Uh, we have a support lead who's out of Portland, Oregon, who worked for Microsoft in the past. We Phil is local, he's in Columbus. Our sales team is uh, based out of Ohio right now. So we're building out sales, marketing. We're doing all of those things right now. The pandemic hasn't really been um, an issue for us. We've been remote the entire time. We haven't had to do any change there. Um, so our, our target right now, we're still targeting title companies and we're targeting real estate brokerages because we need both of them. We need, we really, what we're trying to do, Carrie, is, is build a secured, network of title company users, real estate brokerage users, and eventually mortgage users who can um, exchange data through their, so through their existing software that they're already using on a day-to-day -day basis. And they can use SafeWire to basically communicate, communicate that information from the contract to the title software or vice versa. So how do we create this secured network? Um, once we, as we're building out the secured network, the, the second thing we did was we launched a, a warranty product that we can offer through SafeWire. So if a consumer decides to use SafeWire, then they have the option, it's really a peace of mind warranty that protects their proceeds up to a million dollars. And so it's priced based on a, a purchase price and sale price, and that's ultimately how we make our money. So our goal is to use SafeWire as a technology tool to deploy uh, warranty and eventually insurance products. When you say a secure network, are you, is your technology some type of encryption tool or is it an actual, you're buying up dark fiber and, and connecting these businesses to each other? Um, yeah, through, essentially through the making um, the data we collect, sending it securely, typically through APIs to the different uh, parties in the transactions. And so what we need to know from these brokerages is who are their title partners? 
what what software applications are they using? What contract applications are they using? And then we're we're essentially building all of the um, secured communications between those. And then we're wrapping uh, a warranty product around the whole thing that it all happens securely. So I'm a fraudster and I'm gonna try to break in here with a phishing email to your buyer or a phishing email to you know, some uh, mortgage rep at the bank. How do, how do you stop me? Sure. So our, we have to do two things. We have to educate you and then we have to get to you before the fraudster can. Inside of a real estate transaction, if you've bought or sold a home before, typically uh, you're, one of the first things you're doing is you're choosing a real estate professional, you're choosing a real estate agent. Generally, over 90% of consumers use a real estate agent to buy and sell real estate. So they're, they're having some type of consultation. And these brokerages are all having uh, wire fraud disclosures as part of that consultation. It's part of their EMO policy. They have to have these conversations with you as the consumer and say, hey, wire fraud's bad, don't do this. But generally, like that's where it ends. You know, we have this conversation and then a few weeks go by and um, you know, you aren't really remembering that anymore. So what we're, we're trying to have that conversation in the very earliest we can where the consumer is, is signing that brokerage disclosure that says wire fraud is bad, don't do this. And then right behind that, SafeWire is our solution. And here's what it's gonna do, here's the experience. And so we're locking them in as early as possible so they know they don't have to do this again until they're sitting across from a title agent at closing. You know, you can't protect people from still going out and you can't stop them from, from themselves in some cases, but generally through education and through getting to them more securely than before anyone else can, that's how we see it working. You have, uh, there was at least one news release on your website of a Ohio um, brokerage. How many other customers have you landed so far? They basically are kind of beta testers. Um, yeah, so they're the, they're the first ones that have signed up for our new, the way we reposition the product. So we've carried through um, a good portion of the past clients who we're still using and we were, we made a decision early on that we were still going to support the existing users of the product uh, while still building out the new, the new process. Um, so we did carry through, uh, we just thought it was the right thing to do and we worked really hard to do that. So we carried through a, a, a good portion of those and then we added uh, Key Realty who's based out of Ohio in uh, Michigan. They have 1,100 agents. Um, they've been really our first larger user of the new iteration of this and so they've been a great early partner. We have another significantly large user out of Southern California that I'm hopeful will have that agreement back. So there's there's definitely movement and progress happening. I think by the end of first quarter 21, my goal is our, or I hope is our pipeline, our sales pipeline is is, is going to be right on track with what, what, what the goals are that Pete and I have set out for this year. And so going back to that decision of, you know, this is for Pete that you knew that this is a big problem. So even if we see how fast it's growing, $221 million of fraud in the real estate and rental space uh, a year uh, and growing. Yeah, that would be, uh, that would be a minimum. That would not, yeah, that's that, that number is likely underreported, not overreported, right? Okay, so 
what, you know, if you're doing that slide that everyone does of here's the market potential for this, because you're not going to, you don't cap, you, you're capturing probably your revenue is some percentage of a transaction or whatnot. So when startups go to VCs like yourself, they say, we're going to be a billion dollar business. So do you see that in this at some point? And, you know, did you ask yourself, why am I the only guy that believes in this and none of these other VCs uh, want to bite? I don't stay up awake at night very often worrying about me being the only one that, that wants to do something that I, I solved that after I, I got tired of not sleeping when I started check free and everyone told me I couldn't do it. And everyone said they wanted no part of it. You know, I, I met with some, some, uh, uh, 110 different VCs over the course of two years and no one ever wanted to invest. I'm, I'm over that. The, the, the big issue is how, how big is this market? I think the market is several fold larger than, than the reported number. You know, one of the things that happens here is no one wants responsibility for this. You know, the bank says, Hey, it has nothing to do with me. I, you know, here's our requirements. You guys gave us the, the information. We did what you uh, asked us to do. The broker and the agent all of a sudden are saying, hey, you know, I'm not the bank. I'm, I don't run the, the financial transaction. You know, the consumer says, wait a minute, I'm just doing what you guys told me to do. Um, no one wants to own this thing, you know, which is why it's hard to track and hard to, to figure out. It's also why it's, it's hard to solve. You know, I, I look at it and think that's, that's a, uh, and, and you, you can hear as you talk about all the things in, involved, why it's messy. You know, in, in short, you know, what, what we do is we take over all the connections to the communication so that the, the consumer knows you don't have to and shouldn't read anything from anybody else sent to you outside of uh, us. We handle this whole thing for you. So it's a really, instead of here's how you recognize fish and here's how you do that, ours is pretty simple. No one else does anything except us. We handle this for you. It's safe uh, in it. And what you know, Chris, I think is a, is a really, really good get is uh, by being in the industry, you know, he recognized you know, uh, earlier than I did, this whole uh, area, the, the bank, not so much, but they want no, no ownership of this issue at all. The broker, the agent, the title company, that they're not buyers of technology. That's not what they do. And you're really uncomfortable when you talk to them about buying technology for a solution. They're very comfortable and very experienced with insurance. Yes, we you know we we do title and we're in the business. We do title insurance. We insure the you know these different things. We're we're comfortable. The house we we, we sometimes help with house insurance. They they understand that. And so you know by taking the technology solution and saying don't worry about the technology. Chris's analogy of don't worry how the transmission works. You know it's automatic. You know it's it's the best in the market and. Uh, it only costs you X uh, and we will essentially warranty that everything will be safe and secure. A really big part of this and the reason why the problem is bigger than the actual dollar amount, even you know, what I think is probably a two or threefold bigger number than what the FBI reported is, the big dollar amount that we, we focus on is what is, uh, is the damage to the brokerage brand or the agent's brand himself or the title brand when it goes into the news and, you know, Joe Schmo and Sally Smith go out and tell everybody, I got this money stolen from me in the middle of this transaction. I'm using this name broker. And all of a sudden, not only did it happen, but they're like nowhere to be found when I called and said, 
how did I lose this money? You know, and the bank is is really not happy about it because they they try to tell everybody they have nothing to do with it. But you know, what was the number? What was the name that Chris referred to when he referred to just reading about a transactional fraud? It was a bank, a bank who understands very well the the cost of damage to your brand. Um, you know, because Wells Fargo will be at least five more years of digging out from underneath the damage that they caused to their brand. It's a it's a huge the brand issue is a huge issue. You know, one of the, I'd say the number one thing that a uh, real estate broker stands for and a real estate title company stands for, the number one thing they stand for is trust. You can trust us to protect you in this transaction and to guide you through this transaction. You know, so our job is, is to get them to really understand we can protect your brand, you know, in this transactional process. There isn't anything you can do to a brand worse right now and saying, I was the victim of cyber fraud. Everyone's worried about cyber fraud. No one wants to associate with a brand that is subject to cyber fraud. If you can stand up and say, I insure you, part of my brand proposition is I insure you against cyber fraud. That's a, you know, trading the risk for the credit of protecting you is a, is a valuable deal. So uh, what happens if, universally consumers finally learn the lesson of never click a link in an email to do a million dollar wire transfer or do you have to have faith in the uh, absolute truth that you should never have faith in in people's uh, financial smarts well i can i can tell you that, that you know those, those of us that live in this industry uh, it's unfortunate but because the technology that we're using is still you know in the scheme of things it's still relatively new but the bad guys have uh, at least another seven years advantage on being able to figure out how to use technology in a way that, that they can steal from you, that they can take from you. And the best uh, of us in cybersecurity are better than the others at, at working to catch up, but all of us are working to catch up. The good guys have no lead here at all. The bad guys have all the lead. It's just the technology, you know, look at Zoom, we're on here. It didn't really exist three years ago. Now it's here, and, and all of a sudden people figured out how to insert porn in the middle of it. They figured out how to you know, essentially kidnap it and, and hold it for ransom. They have, you know, uh, they, they have the advantage. So I, I'm not worried about the number of ways that, that these people with too much time on their, their hands and technological prowess are going to keep figuring out how to defraud. Yeah, I'll just say one, add one piece to that. The, the biggest threat to the traditional real estate transaction, in my opinion, is the loss of consumer confidence in what it is we do. And that's something that's not being talked about a lot. I mean, where else can we, where else as an industry are we losing $220 million a year and not talking about it? And so the, the, that, that reality is that someone is going to solve this problem. I, I have a vested interest. We have a vested interest in it being us. But if it's not us, it's going to be a company like Open Door. Or it's going to be a company, maybe not Zillow, but but somebody is who's going to build a seamless, secure process from the search all the way to the closing, which is what Open Door is doing, is going to have this solution for the consumer. And so, you know, the, the loss of consumer confidence is the biggest threat to the traditional real estate industry, in my opinion. And I think that we're positioning ourselves to be the traditional real estate industry's uh, solution for what is coming, which is going to be this fight that's going to be 
coming down the line with some of these new technology companies that are legitimate and they're real and um, they have a good case to make. So are those That's, your competitors? Open Door and Zillow, et cetera? Uh, not today. <laughs> Essentially, um, we're the, uh, you know, this is back in the, but history isn't history. It hasn't even all ha happened yet. Where this is another repeat of Check Free, where uh, originally when we started the online banking bill pay, the banks you know, were really worried about us because we were going to disintermediate them and we were going to enable Microsoft and Yahoo and America Online and all those powerful companies to take over the bank industry. But what ultimately turned out is we enabled the banks to defend themselves uh, against all of those companies. And the banks are still the banks today. And the Yahoo and America Online, you know, they don't even really exist, you know, hardly anymore. Uh, and last thing Microsoft's thinking about is becoming a bank. The, and, and this is a very similar situation where open doors, ultimate argument is you don't need a human uh, real estate agent. You don't need a, 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 a human staff broker. You know, this is all going to go digital. We have the ability to, you know, in, in, in our way of providing uh, cybersecurity uh, to the, to the uh, existing infrastructure in a way that can, can extend the life of the existing infrastructure. So uh, I, I'm happy to ultimately be uh, a competitor, someone who's, who's trying to essentially take business from our customers, which are the title companies, the brokers, the agents themselves. Could you be a vendor to those type of companies? Sure. You know, like they would use your solution as part of theirs? No, I don't think so. I, I think Not that the they're, no they're creating their own solutions and, and they, they have the advantage of not have, not being legacy companies. So, you know, when you look at Realogy or you look at Keller Williams and one of their struggles is they have these legacy businesses that are now, you know, now they're all telling everyone their technology businesses, but the reality is they're not. And they're competing against the Zillows and the, so they're fighting battles on multiple fronts. So they're competing against the open doors and the Zillows, but they're also competing against each other. I don't think the technology-based companies are are necessarily going to be um, going to be adopters of what we're doing. I think the traditional real estate industry are going to have to adopt solutions like this or become um, significantly at risk. So wire fraud is our beachhead into the transaction. The transaction is where all of the opportunity is, and of ultimately how we're really going to solve this is SafeWire becomes the safest way to transact real estate transactions in, in support of what real estate agents and brokerages are doing, not in competition with what they're doing. Five years from now, how big a company is this? We think the total addressable market for this warranty product we built is probably, it's somewhere between half a billion and a billion dollars. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a massive space, but there's no one in it. The good news is we're creating it. So that's good. Where we see the opportunity is uh, imagine a, oh, imagine SafeWire creating better, smarter digital contracts that those contracts are the things that are using SafeWire to authenticate people in transactions. The contracts are connecting to the bank accounts. The contracts are connecting to the, to the different software applications. And the contract is the, is the tool that's actually going to, to do all of these things. Imagine a place where there's a uh, where we're able to have a marketplace for insurance products. And maybe we have an insurance product for property and casualty. Maybe we don't. Maybe it's nationwide that's in the platform with State Farm, with Allstate. 
and those guys are competing for business similarly to how like a lending tree would was doing this 20 years ago and so the property and casualty insurance space you know that's a trillion dollar market there so so we see the the technology as being the gateway into the warranties and insurance products around the home and really the it being a way to create tech-enabled real estate agents and brokerages because consumers ultimately over 90 percent of them they want real live people in the largest transaction they're going to make in their lives they just don't want everything else if you want to layer in more products and services and then layer into adjoining industries how do you avoid the trap that first safewire fell into of trying to do too much by doing it more iteratively you know i think one of the advantages that i that I have in in and obviously having Pete as a partner is a massive advantage to be able to say, well, I think we really need to, you know, let's let's stay focused here. But I, you know, being a a, a business owner myself the last 10, 11 years, I if we don't solve that first problem and make money with that first problem, there is no second problem. Right. If we can't if we can't solve this first piece and really get and what we're doing right now with this wire fraud problem, if we can't be successful with what we're putting out to do here, then there is no, you know, there is nothing beyond that. And so we really have to be focused on this and be all in on this. It doesn't mean that when we think out on the horizon five, 10 years, and you ask that question of where are you going? I think that where we're going is in alignment with the problem that we're solving today which is this wire fraud problem. And if we continue on that journey, we really are going to, if we really want to say we're going to solve that, the solution needs to become more holistic and more holistic and more holistic. And with that, you know, comes those additional opportunities. So from the future, I want to go back to February. You're launching. You've taken this over. You're taking a huge risk. And what, five weeks after you launch, everything shuts down. However, home sales have been really great. So the fact that you were already set up to be remote, you don't have, you know, a, a Bicentennial Park office anymore, that real estate suddenly became really hot. Was the pandemic a big disaster for you or an opportunity? For, how, did, how did your business get affected by the pandemic? I would say on the whole, it's been an opportunity. I don't, I think the negative aspects have been very minimal for us. We haven't, felt any interruption or we've been able to, you know, our significant lift initially was the technology lift and in and, and the transition. I think the opportunity where we'll see the advantage is that fishing attempts since COVID are up 350%. Oh and so I think we're just going to see that bearing out. So you look at the numbers from 2019, I think 2020 in the middle of the pandemic, those numbers, those lost numbers, will be increased. I mean, we're seeing it, I'm seeing it. Uh, and I know if I'm seeing it firsthand, then it's happening and it's happening at scale. So I think, I think the likelihood is that this problem continues to grow. You know, just imagine during any natural disaster, fraud attempts go up. And so now we're in this global disaster and everyone's sitting around on their computer all day. You know, it's pouring gasoline on an already growing problem. And I don't know what those numbers will be, I think the real estate transactions, you're right, the market has been hot. I think transactions, what I've seen, are going to be, be about flatline from where they were uh, this time last year because of the shutdowns. So we'll mm -hmm. see about five and a half million residential real estate transactions, um, which is about in line with what we were at last year. Though I think 
So I think the fraud losses, um, though, are probably going to grow. And I think the loss amounts are definitely going to grow. If you could just uh, get, run down a little bit of your uh, background, you know, we say that you're, you know this industry and you're an entrepreneur. So just kind of run through your, uh, sure. your, your CV. I have an industrial design degree from CCAD. So I actually graduated from there from 2001 and was introduced to real estate in 2004, 2005 with two friends who wanted to start a mortgage company. So the three of us did that and they were in the mortgage business. I wasn't, I knew nothing about it. All I knew, but I knew how to do all the other stuff and like, um, you know, making sure we getting phone systems set up and emails and all. And so after about a year and a half, we had 25 employees. We're doing great. And I, I just hated it. I didn't like the business. It wasn't for me. So I left. I actually sold my part of that mortgage business before the financial collapse happened. Luckily, I got out and um, got a real estate sales license. So I was a real estate agent for a while. I was a commercial agent for a while. When I was a commercial agent is when the market collapsed. When Lehman Brothers collapsed and all of the access to commercial capital went out, that's when I got in the title business. And I really got in the title business uh, as a way to survive. I traveled around the state. I got a notary license. I became a closer and would sit across from people in their homes while they're refinancing or, or buying or selling. And I really got good at it. And I understood what their fears were. And I understood what that experience was. And then got into title sales and from title sales built a title sales team. And then eventually uh, for the last uh, four or five years, I've been an owner of a world-class title uh, in Westerville. And so that company has been growing exponentially as well. Uh, I've always been looking at how do we use technology? How do we use social media? How do we use marketing to grow that business? Which is really how I got involved in the technology scene in Columbus through Rub One and through some of those other groups. Do you still uh, run that, uh, the Westerville business? Uh, I'm still a co-owner. So I'm, 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 I, my partner there is, she is, does all the inside and I, um, I have my hand on the sales and marketing side. So she's a phenomenal, she's a fun, phenomenal title company operator. She's been doing it a long time and it's been a great advantage to us with safe earlier, safe chain, now safe wire to have essentially a, a guinea pig that we're able to, to roll out. We can try things with and we can experiment. And we haven't broken anything in their business too badly in world-class title too badly. So they let us still experiment uh, with them and on them. So it's been a, it's been a, it's been a win-win for everyone. And I, I like how Pete was describing at the beginning of, you know, you kept calling and saying, pay attention to me. <laughs> so what was it that made you want to do that? This problem scares the crap out of me. It just, it really like the, the, where this problem was first on my radar was in 2016, where someone had sent me an email who had just lost his entire life savings in a uh, wire fraud loss. A title company had sent his proceeds to the wrong place. And he messaged me because he saw a video I did on social media and if I could help them and, and I couldn't. And that terrified me. It terrified me that, that th nobody really knew what was, how it was happening. Nobody knew who was doing it. Nobody knew that there was this international group of, of criminals that were really good at this, moving money internationally. And uh, so it really put me on the search of figuring out how do we solve for this. And so that's, that was really my, that's been my driving, for, my driving passion from day one is this problem. <laughs> And so when I knew that SafeChain was 
was wasn't as focused on the problem, but also you know there were there there was there were issues going on. I knew I was still going to attack this problem. I knew that I was still this year going to do something with this space because if we don't, it I have a vested interest uh, with this problem being solved in a way that can protect our businesses. And so I I just I I I knew I wasn't done with it. And I had talked with Rob enough that Rob knew I wasn't done with it. And Rob really said, I think, to both of us, to Peter and I, you guys really should connect and you should talk. And then I think when I, I did get a call with Pete set up, I just talked his ear off for half an hour about uh, probably had his eyes rolling back in the top of his head about this problem. But, you know, it was clear that I, I wasn't done with it. And I, and I, and I wanted to, Safewire was my, vision in the beginning it was my i came up with the name i came up with the idea it was my concept and i didn't anticipate all of this i didn't anticipate all of this coming full circle the way it has but here we are pete you know i i asked before about you know how big could this be but people don't invest in slides they invest in people right so tell me tell me why this guy why this idea Part of the issue of why it took us a while to get connected is I, I try not to join boards you know, when I invest. I'll agree to work with the CEO and be an advisor to the CEO, but that way I, I can do what's needed and I don't have to follow you know, what, what I consider to be a, a, a less sort of necessary schedule. Boards are a necessary schedule. You go through this you know, pre-planned uh, sort of recitation. Um, you got to sit with other VCs, which if I had my brothers, isn't the first thing I'd like to do, you know, whereas I, I'd, I'd rather spend my time working directly with the people who are getting things done or struggling to get things done and we can work on real things. You know, Chris was on the board only once because I, I attended one board meeting when things were starting to go sideways with one of the investors and we were trying to work that out, but I just didn't know him, you know, and, uh, um, and so it actually did take Rob to call me up and say, hey, look, you know, I, I, I think, you know, Chris really believes in this. I don't really know, because I'm not a real estate guy, I don't really know how, how big the, the Safer idea is, but you should hear Chris out. And, you know, that's literally what set it up. And then, you know, one of the things that you're absolutely right, one of the things I, I did is, well, first of all, I was already pregnant, you know. I, I had this investment in place. No one else wanted to do anything at all. None of the existing investors wanted to do anything at all. And I still believe that if we couldn't, I believed our problem was we were trying to boil the ocean. There were too many moving parts to the mortgage process. Uh, and if we could break it down and, and solve one piece at a time and, and incrementally, uh, you know, build on an iterative process, which is something that uh, I've invested in a lot before, that, that made sense to me. Chris really understood this one. And, and as you can hear, it, it isn't, you know, just a, a general concept to him. He lives, you know, in, you know, he, he is an entrepreneur and running a business that's at the front of this broad problem. Uh, and he's in a business where what they are selling, they're promising safety and security in the, the real estate transaction as a title company. I think we have a real opportunity here. And as, as he put it, we have to, we have to, to hit at least a double or a triple in this first piece, but there's no end to the mess that is the mortgage process. Um, so if, if we're right on this one, there's a lot more opportunity. All right, well, um, everybody stay well. I appreciate it. Thanks for all the time. <laughs>